Hi listeners, welcome back to the H&H Hour. My name is Heather Taves and I am here on this beautiful morning alongside my sister and my co-host Heidi Bolt. Hello Heidi. Hi Heather. Hi listeners. We're so happy you've joined us. It's a great day here in the studio. I know. It's still summertime, so we're loving being off school yeah. and uh, just doing ordinary things with our kids. I feel like summertime for me is just like a full-on wink from God. Oh, just like, okay, here you go. Like Get girl, a little rest. Like, I know you love this. It's <laughs> my favorite. Absolutely. Well, when you were little, well, not little, when you were a teenager, you had a nickname. Can you tell everyone what your nickname was? Um, are you talking about Pocahontas? Yeah. Yeah, Pocahontas, which got <laughs> shortened to Pokey. Um, you had it on a license plate. I did. Our My older brother called me that um, because oh. I would get so tan in the summer. Yes, because you had hours and hours and hours to just lay out. Well, our parents had a pool. Right. So we would hang in the pool all the time. Very little responsibilities. Relatively do you think, little. Do you think someone could call you that now? No. No. Because I chase children and so my tan is not nearly <laughs> as dark. I know. <laughs> I know. Well, Heidi, I am so very excited to welcome our guest on today. Yeah. It, this is somebody that we have never met in person, but he reached out to us a few months ago um, because he's written a book yeah. and some of the the theme of his book is similar to some of the theme on our podcast and he had picked up on that. And so um, I've read his book and I've actually... Um, I am going to order like 10 copies and keep them in my office and give them away as Mm -hmm. fast as I can because I believe that the message of this book is so powerful. Yeah. Um, And we'll get into it here in a minute, but I'm just really, really excited for this episode and to to talk with this guest. So listeners, if you would help me welcome our guest, Drew Mosher, welcome to the H&H Hour. Hey, thank you so much. It's great to be with you. We're so, we're so glad to have you. So... I think I have this right. You're actually from our neck of the woods, right? Yeah, I am. I grew up in uh, Gridley, so in small town in central Illinois, which is, are you, you're all in Morton, Peoria Peoria. area? Yeah. Yeah, so just about 40 minutes east from you, I suppose, yeah. That's crazy. We know people that live in Gridley, so small world. Shout out to all all of the small town Gridley people. Well, and the other hilarious thing is our sponsor for this show is actually somebody that you know also, right? Zeller Electric? That's exactly right. I went to school with all four Zeller boys. That is funny. I think that's hilarious. What a small world. It really is. Yeah. Yeah, I spent a lot of time at the Zeller home uh, growing up in Gridley, for sure. That is so cool. What a small world. (laughs) I love it. Well, Drew, we're, um, I've got to tell you, the other day I had a few hours of alone time, which pretty much never happens in my world, and I was going to just float on my mama's pool, and I knew your episode was coming up, and so I wanted to read through your book, and I devoured your book in just a few oh, hours' great. time, and I was so encouraged and um, just excited about it. So we're going to jump into the conversation about your book in a little bit. But for the sake of our listeners and for Heather and myself, um, tell us a little bit about yourself. Tell us about your spouse, your kiddos, your job, hobbies, all that is Drew and your world. Okay. Yeah. So I live with my wife of 16 years. Her name is Becca. Uh, Actually, just a little over 16 years now. We live in Upland, Indiana, which is a small town in, in central Indiana, just north of Indianapolis. Uh, just about 50 minutes north of Indy. And uh, my wife and I have five kids. So we have three boys and two girls. Wow. Uh, Yeah. You're busy. It's Life is full. Mm -hmm. Life is very full. And uh, they range in ages from 13. So I'm a parent of a teenager now. (laughs) And all the way down to three years old. Yes. And uh, they're a lot of fun and a lot of time and quite expensive. So <laughs> they're, they're great. Um, uh, we're in Upland, Indiana, because I work at a Christian college called Taylor University. Mm-hmm. And I work as one of the deans in student development here. And then I also teach uh, some classes here uh, at the college, um, which is a joy for me. In terms of hobbies, I um, my primary hobby right now seems to be keeping my kids alive, yes. fed, and clothed. But um, uh, we're a big soccer family. Kids all play soccer, so we spend a lot of time at soccer fields. Um, 
And then in, in the in-between moments, uh, we're fixing up our home slowly but surely. So that mm-hmm. takes up a lot of my time also. Mm-hmm. So are you handy? Are you doing the fixes? More and more so. Yeah. I, you know, with YouTube and chutzpah, you can get a lot done. Mm-hmm. So I, uh, I knew nothing going into home ownership, uh, but just sheer willpower and lack of money <laughs> forced me to figure a lot out on my own. So yeah. um, maybe not the handiest guy in the block, but I can, I can uh, do what needs to be done mm. uh, most of the time, most of the time. That's awesome. That sounds like a great life. It sounds like an ordinary life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it is. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a good life and it's uh, very ordinary in so many ways. In the best kind of way. Yep. Yeah. Yep. So we ask all of our guests this and it's actually these two questions are questions that are maybe some of our favorites because we get such varied answers and such real answers from people. So what about yourself feels ordinary? Yeah, I think... Uh, uh, I think the thing I would say is, uh, right now anyway, uh, our summer feels really ordinary. <laughs> and um, and so my life feels really simple right now. We're kind of past the family vacations mm-hmm. phase, and we're just living day-to-day in our small town in Indiana. So I, I get up, go for a run, uh, come to work. Kids are playing with friends all over town. <laughs> we, we hope to see them by dinner <laughs> and uh, we have dinner together and just hang out outside if it's not too blazing hot yeah. until the sun goes down. And it's a really ordinary, simple life, um, but it, it's, it's wonderful. I love it. I love that. Hey, can I, I want to go backwards just a little bit and ask you about being a dad to a teenager. Yeah. Uh, is, the, is your teenager a boy or a girl? Boy. Okay. Nice boy. Okay. So I have an 11 year old and we're just like, we're broaching that stage, you know, and I'm excited about it, but I'm, you know, of course also a tiny bit nervous. So how is it? (laughs) Well, so far it's, it's been great. Uh, he's a really good kid. Uh, really fortunate to have him as our oldest and, uh, he's got good friends. Um, and, and so we, we bestow quite a bit of trust in him because he's got a pretty good internal moral compass mm-hmm. that I can't really take credit for at all. Mm-hmm. But um, So it's been really fun so far. Uh, the things I've loved about it are that he uh, – the conversations that we have, uh, whether ranging from kind of deep spiritual topics to just humor, mm-hmm. are so much fun mm-hmm. right now. And it's, it's really fun to see him move towards adulthood. Mm. Uh, some of the things that are hard is, uh, yeah, he, he had a, f- a friend, uh, that had been, uh, out of the country for a long time, just came back. Uh, and so he was reconnecting with him and we didn't see him for a good 28 hours. <laughs> and, uh, and then when he is home, uh, this is another thing that we weren't quite prepared for. He stays up yes. almost as late as we do, which yes. is, uh, which I get, but it kind of took away uh-huh. my wife and I's time yep. uh, where we'd get the kids down early and we could just have a built-in kind of stay-at-home date for yeah. a couple hours before we got tired. Yeah. Oh, um, so that's been a challenge for we sure. We are totally living that same life. <laughs> We're like, yeah. are, you, are you really not tired? I mean, it's, it's <laughs> 1030. How can you not be tired? <laughs> yeah, so we definitely have uh, – our make him go upstairs to, to near his bedroom to read yes. uh, more and more. Yes. Yes. That's you may stay up, but you have to be in your room with the door closed. And above. that's right. That's right. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's cause believe it or not, you know, you fell in love with your wife before your kids and they need to know that. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. We do have to remind them, Hey, you know, time with just the two of us is pretty important. That's right. It it makes us better parents. That's right. So good. I think it's so funny too, because they're old enough that they have this awareness that you may not just be sitting on the couch together. (laughs) They they give you this look of like, okay, I don't really want to know, but I know something else is going on. (laughs) No kidding. Yeah. Exchanging those secret handshakes. Yeah. Secret handshakes. (laughs) Okay, so Drew, what um, I think so many people can relate to your your answer about being ordinary. Um, I think many of us are there. 
So what about your life is extraordinary? Yeah, a few things uh, come to mind. One is, uh, well, the five kids seems to be extraordinary, at least when I get people's reactions to having yeah. five. Um, <laughs> uh, and I think it's also important to note that one of our children is adopted from Guatemala, mm-hmm. our oldest daughter. That's awesome. And so uh, that radically just changes our family in, in so many ways, a lot that we expected and some ways in which we didn't expect. Mm-hmm. But um, so uh, even though we live this really localized, small town, simple life, we also, a big piece of us is always in Guatemala as well. Mm-hmm. So we're, we're involved in Guatemala. We travel there as often as we can. Um, cause we want, uh, to stay connected to our daughter's birth country. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and it also comes from this hope that, you know, we've asked our daughter to radically change everything about her life, you know, to become a member of our family. Mm-hmm. Uh, we should all change as well and at least do what we can to be a part of the life that, that she left behind in Guatemala. So, mm-hmm. so that's a big piece of, of, uh, who I am. So I'm on the board of an organization called Lemonade International, which which works in a in a slum right in the, the center of Guatemala City. Hmm. So I spend a lot of my time and energy um, uh, with that organization, which is a joy. And then we try to take kids down on a rotational basis because seven flights <laughs> would require you know a second mortgage or something but yeah uh, on a rotating basis we take them down with with our daughter to experience that um so that, yeah that's what comes to mind uh about something that's extraordinary mm, that's so neat and we relate to that in some ways because we are two of seven kids so oh my yeah okay. we're we're on the big family train we know what that's like yeah, so we don't wow. flinch when we hear about big families. But now that I have three littles, I like I commend you. Like it's a five is a big deal, bro. <laughs> well, well, you know what we found is, um, you know, once you're outnumbered, one more isn't all that much more work. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then and then at some point you get uh, your oldest gets old enough to be help a helper. Yes. So, right. Yes. That's um, good. So that's yeah. nice. So was your daughter a baby when you adopted her, or was she older? Yeah, she was a toddler, so uh, we ran into some some snags in the process, and uh, and it took longer than we thought. But so we brought her home when she was sixteen months old. Wow! And how old is she now? She's eleven now. Wow! Yeah. So what was that transition like for? So you just had the one at the time, your one son. Yeah, we just had our oldest Ben at the time, and then um, when we brought our daughter home, uh, we went. And then, well, there's a whole nother story, but we thought we had lost the adoption. And so uh, we wanted to continue to grow our family, so we became pregnant. Mm. And in God's strange sense of humor, um, the pregnancy uh, and the adoption both ended within a week. (laughs) So (laughs) I, I went down to pick up our daughter because my wife couldn't travel yeah. she was due any day and I was just praying that I wouldn't miss the birth of our son <laughs> and came back and then our son was born six days later so oh. we went from one to three just like that oh. you know oh my goodness I wouldn't recommend it it was incredibly <laughs> stressful but yes uh we made it we survived um but yeah, we went from one to three like that. I feel like we might need to bring your wife on and hear her hear her story. You know what? You totally should. She'd be a much better guest anyway. But oh. uh, she's she's not as uh, interested in being on podcasts or yes. interviewed. But, yes. but she she has lots of wisdom to share from those experiences for oh, sure. That sounds like an amazing story. Yeah. Wow. And you know what's cool? My son's name is Ben. Also, uh, it's a great name, <laughs> isn't it? It is. It's a good name. Great yeah. name. All right, Drew, well, let's talk about your book because that's really why we've got you on here. And um, I just have to tell you, um, you reached out to us and, and you know, didn't we didn't know each other and I didn't know anything about you or your book. And um, you sent us a copy and I started reading it and I was so, I'll be honest, I didn't have high expectations, not because of anything that, you know, I knew or didn't know about you, but just, you know, you pick up a book, you don't know anything about it. You don't really have any expectations. Mm-hmm. Sure. And I was just 
I fell in love with it. I fell in love with the message and the perspective that it brought and the conversation that it has opened up already in my circle with young people that I've been mentoring and, and leading and um, in our local church setting. It's just created so many great opportunities. But I have to tell you too that last night, just last night, we were sitting around on our patio having a conversation with some friends of ours that are a little bit ahead of us. They have children actually who are in their 20s. So this book was written for the kids, but these parents were just saying, I had recommended that they go and buy your book and they started reading it and they said, this isn't just for our kids, this is for us. Mm -hmm. And so here you have 50 year olds that are reading this saying, our eyes are being opened and this is really, we've needed this our whole lives and didn't even realize it. So I am just so excited to talk about this and um, could you start by telling us the name of your book, but then also what led you to write this? Sure. Well, all of what you just said is deeply encouraging, so thank you. Mm-hmm. Um, glad you gave it a chance, and I'm glad, I'm glad you enjoyed it. So uh, the name of the book is Ready or Not, Leaning into Life in Our 20s. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I wrote the book for two main reasons. Uh, the, the first is the selfish reason, and that is that it's the book I wish I would have had when I was in my 20s. Yeah. Uh, my my 20-something decade was uh, really confusing, at times really frustrating. Uh, I felt like I wandered a lot uh, trying to figure out you know, what my path would be. And, I, and I, I spent a lot of my 20s stressed and anxious about mm-hmm. my calling. Mm-hmm. And um, Lo and behold, you know, I my career has been spent working with 20-somethings, largely around these questions of what it means to be called by God. Mm-hmm. So I've worked as a pastor of college students and young adults. I've worked for a nonprofit missions organization. I've... Um, and then I've worked for almost 10 years now in the college environment. Mm-hmm. And it's all centered around these questions of vocation. Um, and so, you know, the other reason uh, that I wrote the book is because my career has been devoted to helping 20-somethings wrestle with these questions and being frustrated at uh, the lack of resources that are really for them. Mm-hmm. Most of the books that are out there on vocation or calling are really for people, to be quite honest, my age, you know, they're in their 30s, 40s, 50s, who are kind of in um, that third life, midlife crisis and aren't sure what to do. Um, And that doesn't really resonate with 20-somethings. The challenges I'm facing, you know, in my own life uh, don't resonate in the same way. Um, so that's, that's why I wrote the book. I have a co-author whose name is Jess Finkhauser, who was working with me in, uh, in a former role that I had here at Taylor. And, uh, we did, did a ton of research on, uh, the topic and, uh, co-wrote the book together. Okay. So that, that's so encouraging because I can relate to that so much of just remembering, back into my twenties and struggling with this whole idea of what am I supposed to do? What, what is God really calling me to do? And I think we hear it all the time. You know, it's, um, it's the main question that we hear Mm -hmm. with the, the people in our circles that we work with that are in their Mm twenties. So what is your hope for this book? Yeah. So I have two hopes. Uh, the first would be that 20 something themselves would pick it up and ideally, read through it and wrestle through it with friends uh, and as a result have a clear understanding of how to live their lives with hope and purpose and meaning. Mm-hmm. Um, that's my primary hope. There's a secondary hope too and that would be those that uh, have influence over 20-somethings mm-hmm. or in some sort of relationship with 20-somethings whether it's uh, they're supervising them at work or uh, they're mentoring them and are really struggling to figure out ways to help. Well, I think it, it often came from, you know, my time here at Taylor where I worked in our career services office. Uh, it's called the Calling and Career Office here. And, you know, those offices on college campuses are really designed to help 
uh, college students be prepared for life after college and mm-hmm. primarily get a job. Mm-hmm. So I kept having appointments with students and they'd come in for just the you know, basic uh, services that we provide, whether it's a resume review or a mock interview or whatever it might be. But then our conversation would quickly go to something quite deeper than a resume. And it was clear that they were really wrestling with these deep questions of calling. Mm-hmm. And uh, I became convinced and, and still am that it's impossible for us to, to know our calling if we don't know our caller. Mm-hmm. And what I mean by that is uh, our view of vocation, and I use vocation and calling synonymously, but mm-hmm. our view of vocation it directly stems from our view of who God is. Mm. So if we view God as someone who is uh, this really difficult taskmaster who's out to get us or trick us, then our view of vocation will follow suit, <laughs> that our calling is this really difficult thing and uh, it's tough to figure out and um, it's going to be, and God's just going to make it really difficult for us on purpose. Mm. Um Whereas if we view God as who he says he is, as the good shepherd, Mm -hmm. for instance, then we can suddenly view God as the good shepherd of our 20s, -hmm. uh, the good shepherd of our vocation. Mm -hmm. And when we have that image of a shepherd who is protective, who knows us by name, who watches out for us to make sure make sure that we have our basic needs, those sorts of things. And that really changes our understanding of calling. Mm-hmm. And so um, I think it's very it's just human nature for us to immediately want to answer the question, what am I going to do? Mm-hmm. And that's an important question. But I don't think we are, we are capable of fully answering that question until we have a better understanding of who God is mm-hmm. and who we are as individuals. We have to have that knowledge to build the foundation for an understanding of what it means to be called. Mm, That's so good. And don't you think we're so often skewed by the reality of the truth of who God is? Because, you know, we may associate God the Father as um, equal to what our earthly father is, who maybe has abandoned us or who has let us down or who has failed us. And so we, we kind of bump up against this difficult task of viewing God who for who he really is to begin with. Yeah, I, I think you're right. I think we're always prone as human beings to want to fashion God in our own image. And mm-hmm. by that, I mean, not necessarily that we want God to look exactly like us, but we bring our own life experiences, yeah. our, you know, our, our pains, our struggles, our challenges. And that can often warp our sense of understanding as to who God is. Definitely. Yeah. I think that's so true. I think that's so wise. And I I do love that you're having this conversation, Drew, because it's, um, I feel like there's something so powerful about a man's voice saying these truths. Yeah. Um, Because somehow it lands so heavily on the ears of the listener when that voice of authority is coming through a male voice. Mm -hmm. Um, You said this in the book, and I agree so wholeheartedly. You said, in spite of heartache, God can use the low moments in our lives to shape our calling in powerful ways. Will you talk about that? Why, what caused you to recognize that? Yeah. So I think one of the kind of mantras of the book, uh, is that our past shapes us, but it doesn't define us. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, the past is a really powerful teacher and we need to look to our past experiences in our lives and really evaluate them for what they are, and then not let them define our future. Because mm-hmm. I think we're, we're too often um, limited by our own kind of understanding of past tragedies or pains, that, that we feel like that shuts doors all the time when it comes to our future. Mm-hmm. Uh, how, I think a better approach is to look at the past as, uh, you know, how has this prepared me for what, what God may have before me in the future? Mm-hmm. And we have to look at not only the things that were great, not only the times when we won the championship, or not, not only the times when we got the lead in the play, or whatever it might be, but also the times when we missed, you know, the last second shot and, mm-hmm. and uh, lost the championship, or the times in which we were the understudy, or we need to really evaluate 
uh, those experiences and how they've shaped us so we can better understand who we are. Mm -hmm. Because I think failure is a really important component to calling. Mm -hmm. If we aren't honest about our failures or our shortcomings or the tragedies that we've experienced, then I think we have a really uh, limited ability to discern what it means to be called into the future. Because... um, Life, uh, life experience tells us, people who, have, who are older than us will tell us that life doesn't necessarily get easier as we get older. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it, we, we will continue to confront things that are really difficult or painful. Yeah. We will continue to experience tragedies, suffering, heartache. So uh, it's important for us to be able to really experience those honestly mm-hmm. and, and in a healthy manner. I love that. One of the things that I wrote down, and I'll be honest, the back of your book is now covered in notes because I was writing all of these (laughs) things down that I love so much. Um, I love this. I'm not sure if it was someone you were talking about or if it was a quote from you, but you said, I made straight A's and flunked ordinary life. Now, obviously, that stood out to us because we talk about ordinary life all the time. Um, But then I loved that that follow-up. It said, your 20s are meant to take a decade. They're not meant to be rushed. You know, yeah. And I thought that was so profound. Like, yes, you're right. It, like we're supposed to spend a decade um, in our 20s for a reason. Yeah. Um, so why do you think that is? Why do you think you can make straight A's, you can have all of these achievements, but you truly feel, or maybe you do, flunk ordinary life? Yeah, uh, that's a really powerful quote from a novelist. Uh, from the South called Walker Percy. So I wish I could take credit for it, but it's definitely, it's his. Um, So I I think there, there are a few things at play um, when when we think about time. (laughs) So I I think there's in the book, we talk about the two competing messages Mm -hmm. that really just pound 20 somethings. And the one is, uh, you could kind of describe it as FOMO, the fear of missing out, mm-hmm. where uh, they just feel this pressure to have as much adventure and fun as possible before they settle down and become, you know, boring adults like us. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and and uh, that has its own, you know, troubles. First of all, I, I love my life. I don't think it's boring um, or awful. I, <laughs> I think it's great. And, uh, and so I don't think that's something to just push off as long as possible. At the same time, uh, there's also this pressure, I think, especially in faith circles, to figure out life as much as possible, mm-hmm. as quickly as possible. Mm-hmm. And we've got to, because we can look around and see, at least, or perceive that everyone else has it figured out, yep. which isn't true, right. but I think we're prone to think that. Yes. That everyone else has life figured out and we are floundering. Mm-hmm. So we have to figure we have to figure out our own life as quickly as possible or else we're behind or deficient in some way. And that's just not true. When we think about, you know, the 20 something decade, it is actually a decade and I think it's worth considering that this is 10 years. Yeah. And um, what does it look like to be faithful for those 10 years mm-hmm. in such a way that it sets healthy trajectories? for our 30s, Mm. our 40s, and our 50s, as opposed to viewing our calling as as a destination, which is uh, we've got to arrive somewhere and we've got to get there by the time we're 28 or 29 Mm. uh, or else we're failing. That's just not true. So I think there's a middle ground that in in that middle ground, in that ordinary, to use uh, your language and in the theme of your podcast in that ordinary is faithfulness uh, for what it means to live in our twenties. I love that you mentioned that faithfulness, Drew, that seems to be a theme Mm -hmm. um, that keeps resonating throughout our world right Mm -hmm. now, through our lives that we're in the middle of right here. And it's been mentioned multiple times by various guests. And it's so cool that God keeps repeating this because it's not something we've asked any of our guests to hit on. It just Uh, keeps coming up. Um, And I think that's so important for the listener to pick up on is what you're talking about is that faithfulness in whatever season you're in, whether you're 20 or 30 or 40 or 60 or 80, that faithfulness is still so important. And I'm reminded of, you know, the words of um, the, in the Bible, it just talks about if you're faithful in the small, 
he will reward you with more and you'll have more responsibility. Um, And I think that if, especially in our, you know, in the twenties, if people are picking up on that and recognizing the importance of that faithfulness, it is going to serve them so well throughout the rest of their decades of their life. And it will affect those around them in such a dramatic way as well. Yeah. I also think, and I think we talk about in the book, uh, Romans 12, Mm -hmm. that uh, verses one and two, that those of us that grew up in the church probably memorized uh, pretty early on. And I think it's a, there's a powerful message when it comes to our calling Mm -hmm. in those two verses. You know, we often want to focus on the offer our bodies of living sacrifices, holy and pleasing God. This is your true and proper worship. It's a really powerful, just packed mm-hmm. verse. Uh, but then it goes on, do not conform to the pattern of this world, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Mm-hmm. And then the most important, I think, at least when it comes to calling, word is next, and it's then. Mm-hmm. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. Mm-hmm. So when you offer your body as a living sacrifice, when you don't conform to the unhealthy patterns of the world, when you are transformed, then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. Mm -hmm. That knowledge of God's will for us comes through faithfulness and uh, faithfulness in the small and ordinary things, which is really hard to focus on because it's not as exciting. Yeah. And it doesn't get a lot of um, press, does it? You know, like nobody shouts the praises of your small faithful acts. Yeah. It's hard to, it's hard to, uh, get likes on your Instagram feed. It's for so true. Those yeah. things. It's yeah. so true. That's really good. So I guess if kind of what I feel like you're saying is your twenties are really that foundation for the rest of the decades, the, you know, the decades to follow. And if, if that foundation in your twenties is set firm, you know, I think of the story in the Bible of building your house on the rock, you know? Sure. And, and so it's this opportunity to build that strong foundation, right? Yeah, well, I think so because I, I think this there's this pressure, you know, to get it right, to get it perfect, to get it figured out, and uh, what we really try to say in the book is, hey, we want this book to be helpful to you in your twenties, but we will not guarantee that you'll have life figured out in your twenties. Yeah. In fact, you're not going to. Yeah. <laughs> uh, what's a far better approach and, and just a better perspective to take is. Uh, is to look at the trajectories that you can set or that foundation that you can build mm-hmm. to use the language we've been using yeah. that really set you up well for your thirties, your forties, your, your fifties. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. Heidi, I'm loving this conversation with Drew. He has so much wisdom mm-hmm. and I think this conversation is so needed for, for all of us, but especially for those of us who invest in and, Um, mentor and lead 20-somethings. So we want to take a quick second and thank our sponsor for the show. And there's something so cool about it. I think we mentioned it earlier, but our guest today, Drew, actually grew up and knows the Zeller Boys. That's so cool. Who are our sponsor on this show. How cool is God? I just think it's so cool how God, it's just almost like a little like a fun moment from God. Just like, do you get it? I'm in this. Yeah. You know? Yeah. You know, we used to say that God is in the details. Mm -hmm. Like we said that all the time when we were in kids ministry working together and he really is, he lines up things that we don't even think about, you know, and he just puts all these pieces together. So we want to thank our sponsor for today's show. It is Zeller Electric and they're right here in our area. So if you're local and you need some jobs done in your residential Mm -hmm. um, or commercial property, check them out because yeah. we know that they're reliable. They're, um, they have great integrity. Like you're going to get a, a job well done by using them. Absolutely. Heather, I just had a great idea. You have wanted lights installed in your kitchen for I what I think two years now. Yeah. It's a lot. They're in my garage. They just aren't installed yet. Yeah. So they're giving us this incredible opportunity to offer our listeners. If you go to their Facebook and you like their Facebook and you mention that you heard about them on the H and H hour, you're going to receive 10% off your first service call with Zeller electric. So that's a great offer. That is, that that's is so a, generous of them. I know. I mean, what other company can you electric company can you go to and they're going to give you 10% off. That's so cool. So, and they also, you can find out everything that they do at their website, which is zeller-electric.com. So thank you so much to Zeller Electric for sponsoring this episode today. 
Okay, I want to talk about millennials a little bit. Um, okay. They tend to get a lot of negative press from everywhere, from the media, from the church pulpit, you know, wherever wherever you are, just conversations that happen around the dinner table. Um, two, two things. Why do you think this is? And let's celebrate millennials. Let's talk about the amazing gifts and the attributes that they are bringing to our world, that they are bringing to the table. Yeah, um, they do get a lot of bad press. And, you know, it's funny. Um, and Gen Xers did too when they were in their 20s. And yeah. I, I think I'm getting, some of it's just cyclical. Yeah. Any generation that's a, that's a distinct generation that's in their youth, is they're going to act like youth. So <laughs> I love that. <laughs> they're, True. they're going to uh, make dumb decisions or not be as mature as you want them to be. Um, that's just part of growing up. Yeah. I, do, I do think there are some unique things about this millennial generation that um, – that cause older generation to squirm a little bit, mm. which probably gets into this. Um, because I think millennials, um, they really want to live differently mm-hmm. than previous generations mm-hmm. um, for some good reasons and perhaps for some maybe simplistic, idealistic reasons. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, for instance, you you do uh, a, a some research on graduating seniors at colleges and uh if you you can put together the survey results and if you ask them what's most important to them in terms of their life after college uh money is finances is dropping in terms of significance Hmm. and what is increasing is that they want to make a difference Hmm. that they want their lives to have an impact and I think that comes from some really good places that, you know, hey, they're not maybe as concerned with the materialism, mm-hmm. uh, at least the materialism that they w- want to push against that mm-hmm. they see in older generations, but they, they want to have some significance. They want to make a difference in others' lives. Mm-hmm. I think, and I think that's really good. Um, I think also what I like about millennials is that they're, they're really trying. Now, sometimes it comes across as, you know, wanting to slack off or mm-hmm. not wanting to work or wanting to have all the perks of a job without working. But well, I think what they're trying to do is to live a life of coherence, that they want their, their life and their work and their relationships all to weave together mm-hmm. in a mo- more coherent fashion than maybe the truncated or compartmentalized lives that they, they've seen in previous generations mm-hmm. where, you know, they have this distinct box for church and then this distinct box for box for work and this distinct box for, uh, friendships. They, uh, they want to blur those lines and that can seem really messy or it can come across maybe to, uh, owners of companies as perhaps lazy or entitled, but I do think it, what they're looking for is that they want their entire, the whole of their lives to make sense. Hmm. Uh, I also think millennials are incredibly creative. um, This generation has the creativity to really help us get out of some systemic problems in our world and in our own country. And I think uh, I fully expect millennials to do some really great things when it comes to some of the big issues of our day, um, whether it's sex trafficking or poverty or Mm -hmm. uh, systemic racism or, you know, some of those things. I think millennials will give us some really helpful insights into that. Mm -hmm. Um, So, yeah, but they do get a bad rap, you know, about the avocado toast and, (laughs) you know, all the craft everything and... um, and, you know, I see that, and I can understand. It. I live on a you know near a college campus, and I spend most of my waking hours around college students. Yeah. Um, but but I, I find them to be really hopeful. Yeah. So since you do spend so much time with with twenty somethings, um, what do you think they need the most from those of us that are ahead of them, that are in our thirties, forties, fifties, and and on? Yeah, I'd say the first thing is they need to have good, healthy relationships with other generations. Uh, I think it is so easy right now for 20-somethings to spend all of their time with 20-somethings. 
I think, because they can do it in any, just about any setting they're in. They can get a job with a young, you know, startup company, which is all 20-somethings. They can hang out at coffee shops that, you know, where there are only 20-somethings there. They can go to church where um, it's a service just for 20-somethings. And what's lost in that is is just the richness of multi-generational relationships. Mm-hmm. And I think when, when that happens, then uh, those of us that are a bit older need to set really good examples and model well what it means to have healthy rhythms of living. Mm-hmm. Um, where we uh, are living in healthy rhythms in terms of our family lives, in terms of our friendships, in terms of our careers and those sorts of things. Because I, I do know uh, that 20-somethings are looking for good examples mm-hmm. uh, for, for living life well. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's also important for those of us that are older to be real honest about our own struggles when we were in our 20s <laughs> and yeah. not to gloss over them. But to say, but to really meet them where they are and say, "Hey, I, I had no idea who I was or what I was doing when I was 25 years old." Yeah. I think that's important, um, uh, and I think a lot of that is on us to reach out. It, it's a scary thing yeah. for a lot of people who are in their 30s, 40s, and 50s to try to build relationships with someone in their 20s. Yeah. <laughs> they're yeah. like this exotic animal that they, <laughs> they're not sure. <laughs> so true. Um, how to interact with. And, uh, I think it's important to view them as sisters and brothers and develop relationships with them. I love that so much. And I, that made me laugh because, you know, there have been times where I, and I think part of it is just that those of us that are a little bit older, just being willing to pull them into our lives Mm -hmm. and say like, it's might be a little bit messy. We might not have it all figured out yet, but come be a part of this with us. And then for us not to be intimidated. I mean, I'll be honest. There are times when I look at, you know, uh, my younger sister who's in her twenties or young women that are around me in their twenties. And I'm intimidated because I think, well, I'm not cool anymore. I'm not relevant or I don't understand their language. And so we tend to want to like pull back a little bit because we think we're not relatable when actually the things that they need the most from us are things that aren't trendy. They're things that don't change. And that Mm. that's what we have to offer that we forget about because we're just focusing on the things we don't understand about that generation. I wholeheartedly agree. Absolutely agree. Yep. So, um, you know, I just think that as just as an encouragement to people who are out of their twenties, like find someone in their twenties and bring them into your home, let them have dinner at your table, whether they're married or not married or in college or not, you know, not in college and just, just participate in their lives. And you will be so encouraged by, you know, I'm such a cheerleader Mm -hmm. of this generation behind me and even the generation behind them. I think like you said, Drew, they're literally going to change our world. Um, yeah. And our world is changing so quickly with technology. And these kids, these young adults are the ones who are going to be able to keep up with it yeah. um, and really uh, grab hold of it and um, just do amazing things. And so I just, I want to, I want to encourage those of us that are older to become cheerleaders, to become encouragers and to stop the negativity mm-hmm. and say like, we've been there. We've been in a season where it might, the, the lingo might've looked different. We might not have had Instagram, yeah. you know, or crocheted hangings on our walls, but <laughs> we, you know, we had our things. And so I think that's yeah. so important. Yeah. Uh, I agree. I agree. So the chapter um, in your book about the church really stood out to us um, because Heather and I believe so wholeheartedly in the big C church, meaning the global church and also the local church. Um, and we've, both of us have experienced um, our own hurt from church and within church, but we also believe that it's something that we cannot abandon, um, that that's not an option. Um, what would you say, Drew? Um, is something that's needed from those of us leading the church in order to connect with 20-somethings who are maybe leaving the church right now? Yeah, this is a tough one. Um, but I think it's really important for those of us who are, who are in the church to first and foremost uh, counter the negative stereotypes that they have with the church mm. in our own lives. Mm. So I think so many... 
millennials that are leaving the church or have already left the church view the church as rigid, mm. as dogmatic, as um, uh, counterfeit. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's important for us to not be those things. And, to, and if we are in relationship with millennials who have left the church and we are modeling something different, then that's going to mess with a pretty simplistic idea that they may have about the church being awful. Yeah. And, um, and it's going to, I think, I hope provide a holy discontent within them to say, okay, I can't, I can't just, uh, paint the church with such broad strokes because these friends of mine are also the church. Um, the other thing I'd say too, it's really important. Uh, and I do some consulting with pastors who are trying to figure out how to engage millennials, uh, and really th- they're asking the same question you just asked. And the thing I tell them probably most consistently is don't just wait for them mm-hmm. to come into your church. Mm-hmm. You have to go to them yeah. uh, because um, they're, they'll see right through their, uh, their authenticity filters. Sometimes I call it BS filters <laughs> are finely tuned. Mm-hmm. So, you can't just expect millennials to show up at your church just if you have pallet wood. I mean, pallet wood works well, right? But that's not the only thing because they can go to a coffee shop that has a really nice design and spend time there and not, and feel far more comfortable. Um, So I think you need to go where they are. And Mm -hmm. so for instance, I was talking with this one pastor in a major city in the Midwest who has, uh, who had a theater background in college. So, and he was just racking his brain trying to figure out how can I meet some uh, 20 somethings and just be in a relationship with them. And I said, are you involved in your local community theater? Mm -hmm. And, um, he said, no, you know, I just, I haven't taken the time to stay connected with that part of my life. I said, but do you think that there would be, you know, some 20-somethings there? Mm. He goes, oh, the whole, most, most of the cast, you know, would be 20-somethings. I said, mm. well, that'd be a good place for you to spend your time, probably. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, it wouldn't be, the theater wouldn't be a good place for me to spend my time. But, <laughs> you know, I think we need to find those places where we can connect uh, with millennials outside of the church walls, develop relationships with them so that they're more likely to come back. Mm-hmm. Um, I have another friend who is a pastor who has uh, decided he lives in a city where there's an MLS, you know, a soccer club, Mm -hmm. and he leads their major support group fan club, Mm -hmm. which means he's working with all these 20-something soccer fanatics who are, you know, nihilists or atheists or... And, and he's able to mentor them. He's older. He's in his 40s, and he's able to mentor them in uh, some just powerful ways. And they would never set foot in the church. Mm-hmm. So I think often it's developing hobbies or interests and then investing in those outside of church walls. Mm-hmm. That's going to be what brings them back into the church, I, I think. Yeah, I love that so much, what you said. It's so true, and it's really this idea of what's happening in your um, Monday through Saturday life. It, yeah. it matches with what happens on Sunday morning mm-hmm. in the church. You know, it's not right. like you're two different people. And I think that for so long, in some in some cases, not in every case, but that's that's what's pushed a lot of 20-somethings out of the church is they feel like there's this mask that gets put on um, on a Sunday morning. And it, you're like, yeah, but I've seen you out, you know, to dinner with your family and how you treat the waiter, you know. And right. so it's this idea of really um, th- that what happens during the week in your relationships with people whether they're 20 something or not is so much more important than just that small time that you spend with them on Sunday mornings. That's exactly right. And it gets back to this uh, notion of millennials really wanting to live lives of coherence where everything kind of fits together. Yes. They're looking for that in the people that uh, are involved with church. Mm-hmm. So if you're a jerk at work, <laughs> but then yeah. are an elder in your church, that's right. Yes they're not going to be okay with that. That's not going to fly. It has to be consistent and coherent throughout. 
Well, and as a almost 40 something year old, I'm not okay with that either. So I get it. Yeah. Well, there you go. Yeah. Right. We, thing, sh- we shouldn't be. One thing I love that you just said, Drew, and I think it's so important for all of us to, to capture this is you said they wouldn't step foot in a church, but they're going to they'll sit right next to the church because we are the church, right? We are the bride of Christ. And so I think so often we do compartmentalize the church and it means like when we're together on Sunday mornings, that's church. But, you know, Jesus says go into the world and make disciples. And so I love that picture of your pastor friend sitting on the sideline, cheering them on because he's the church. He's being the church right there sitting next to the young guy that's not going to step foot in his church and hear him preach from the pulpit, but he's watching his life preach on the sideline. I think that is so important for all of us. It's that idea of who is right in front of you. Yeah, that's it. I also think that we have to offer them a seat at the table. Mm -hmm. You know, I think we need to create space on boards, on creative teams, on teaching teams, even if they don't have it all figured out. Because let's just be honest, none of us do, really. But, um, you know, give them this, give them a seat at the table to hear their ideas. And I, I, we see this so beautifully in our church because we have several, many, actually 20 somethings that have positions or titles that really probably if you want to get technical they shouldn't have until they're in their 30s and 40s just based on experience but the beauty of that is that they get to learn and grow and experience um as they're as they're going through you know they get to they get to get up there and give it a shot and they might fall on their face but then we get to give them another shot and they get to learn from that experience and the wisdom that they bring is it might not be experience, but man, it is passionate and it is fresh and it is a new perspective. And I, I just wouldn't want to be around a table leading anything if it didn't include people from each generation. Yeah. Uh, That's encouraging to hear uh, because a lot of uh, advice that I also give uh, around this question is uh, most 20 somethings, are willing to help and have a lot to offer, but they need that tap on the shoulder first. And they need someone to say, hey, I value your voice. Um, Would you be willing to serve in this way? Or if someone on a pastoral staff would be willing to, you know, sit for a series of coffees with some 20-somethings and just listen as opposed to preach at them all the time. Just listen to them. That would, I think that would be really powerful. Mm-hmm. And along those lines, I think the other thing that's important when it comes to church, I think we're so prone to want to push 20-somethings in kind of the same tried-and-true service opportunities when it comes to church. Yeah. It's often, hey, you're young and still kind of cool. Can you help out with the youth group? Yeah. yeah. Um, and that might work for a 20-something who really likes to work with teenagers. <laughs> but yeah. For anyone else, that's probably not a great idea. Yeah. Um, I think we need to be a little bit more creative and diversified in um, allowing 20-somethings to be involved in, in the church beyond just maybe the youth or maybe the worship team, but other, other spots as well. Yeah, I agree with you so much. I think we've seen this firsthand in our church when – Um, we had an opportunity, I mean, it was a total God idea, but we had an opportunity to hire, um, a woman right out of college as our executive director. And over the last almost four years, we have watched her flourish in the most unbelievable way in leading the most crucial role in the Mm -hmm. church, I would say, Mm -hmm. as far as, you know, everything goes across her desk and, she has just stepped up, and I forget so often that she's in her twenties because her level twenty five her level yeah. of leadership wow. is just off the charts. Yeah. And sometimes when I interact with her um, about ministry things specifically in her job, I feel like I'm talking to somebody that's just far above her in her age. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm so glad that God gave us that idea to hire her mm-hmm. and to believe in her. Because I do feel like what you're saying has become so true in our church Mm -hmm. that her ideas and her perspective and her input has been so important to the direction of the church and Mm -hmm. to the the people we are supposed to be reaching. Um, 
So I just, I love that you're bringing that conversation up, Drew, and that you're brave enough to write it in this book. Mm -hmm. Um, I think sometimes we all try to have too broad of a reach. Mm -hmm. You know, we want to, we want to impact every single generation and every single person. And I love that you were bold enough to say, hey, this is, this really is a book for those in their twenties. Knowing that that could kind of put you in a smaller demographic of people that would potentially read your book. Um, cause you know, that's who you're called to and you're sticking with that and you're like, Hey God, this is how you've wired me. And so this is what I'm going to be faithful in. Um, so I just say, well done, like well done with the message of this book. I think it is so timely and I think it's so important. And I just want to say as someone that's in my mid thirties, um, the, the book was for me too, you know? So if you're listening and you are going to write this book off cause you're not 22, um, pick it up because it's, there is something in it for everyone. I really do believe that. Oh, well, thanks so much. That's so encouraging. And I think that is probably the book's, um, see open secret, if you will, is that because vocation is a process mm-hmm. of lifelong faithfulness, yes. then these concepts, you know, that we argue for in the book are not just limited to our twenties. Yeah. Um, and they may, they may be, uh, in this particular book geared in some ways for 20 somethings, but they really are applicable, uh, to all of us. So thanks for picking up on that. I appreciate that. Yeah. So I just have a couple more things just real quickly. What would you say to that person? You know, we hear it all the time. I just don't know what my calling is. Where do they start? Yeah, well, first, uh, they need to just tell themselves or find people in their lives who can tell them it's okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, just take a breath. It's okay. And to be reminded that vocation is a process and not a destination. Mm, so good. Um, and, uh, and then also be reminded that God is on their side. Now, he's not against them. Mm. Um, but he did, does have a good and wonderful plan for their lives. Mm. And then um, I'd start, if you don't know what to do, what's the next right thing in front of you yeah, that's good. that you know is the right thing to do? Do that. Mm. And then when, when you've done that, then do the next right thing. <laughs> and then the next right thing after that. Yeah. I, um, beyond that, I'd say one of the most important things is to uh, take time to step back from your life in order to reflect upon it properly. So um, you probably noticed in the book, we have a ton of exercises and activities Mm -hmm. packed into each chapter, which is really designed to help us just take a a pause Mm -hmm. from letting our lives live us and instead taking time to really take stock of our lives and look at it uh, with others who know us really well. And so that we can get a clearer picture of, of really where we are right now so that mm-hmm. we can know where we're going. Mm-hmm. So that reflection piece is really important. Um, so it, it's really important to, to just take time to reflect upon uh, your life, uh, your relationships, where you're at in order to have a better idea of where you're headed. Mm, that's great advice. So good. All right. So tell us how can people connect with you and where is your book available? Yeah, so probably the the most central hub for information is uh, my website, which is drewmosier.com. That's D-R-E-W-M-O-S-E-R.com. I'm also on social media, so you can find me there pretty easily. Uh, The book is available wherever you buy books online. So Amazon, Barnes & Noble, um, Lifeway, all the major online retailers, you can find it. No problem. Awesome. So good. What an important conversation. Drew, thank you so much for taking time to be on this podcast with us. I'm so excited for people to hear Mm -hmm. the wisdom that you shared, both on this podcast, but also in his book. Please Mm -hmm. pick it up. You will not regret it. So Drew, you have a great day and we will be excited to just share your story with our listeners. Well, yeah, thanks so much. I really appreciate the opportunity to be on your podcast. I'm honored by it and love what you're doing with it. So keep up the good work. Thanks so much. We appreciate that so much. Thank you. Well, listeners, we are so glad that you joined us today. We appreciate you taking time and 
trusting our podcast with mm-hmm. your valuable time. Yeah. Um, we so believe that something Drew said today and wrote in his book is for you. Um, we so believe that there is truth and there is life and there's hope um, within this message for you. So um, just take hold of it. Write down the things that he said that really resonated with you and then start implementing them because um, it can be so life-changing for you. So we hope that you have a great day. And as always, Heather and I pray for you. So reach out with your prayer request on Instagram and we will just be um, lifting up your request to God the Father for you. 